it's time to take control of your mental health. Hell, you survived a pandemic, you can survive therapy. Welcome to Dear Culture, the podcast that gives you news you can trust for the culture. I'm your co-host, Shauna Pinnock, Social Media Director at The Grio. And I'm your co-host, Jaron Keith Gaynor, Managing Editor at The Grio. And this week we're asking, Dear Culture, what criteria are you using to find your new therapist? gonna be a good conversation child but uh gee before we get into the show you know the deal what is on your mind this week so i think that this connects to today's conversation about therapy because i got this really impromptu phone call from my cousin and we're around the same age she lives in south carolina uh she's also queer she's a lesbian and she just wanted to chat she was like you were on my mind you were on my heart and i wanted to call you and we don't often talk, you know, we kind of lose, we lost contact um, over the past several months. We kind of check in maybe like, maybe once a year, maybe every six months, it's just very sporadic. Um, and we both had very similar upbringings because obviously one, we're related, but also because we're both a part of the LGBTQ plus community. Uh, we both suffered um, deep loss in our household. She lost her brother to in a fatal car accident many years ago, and I lost my father. Despite that, you would think we would have, you know, it would have brought us together, but, you know, life happens. There are a lot of reasons why families have uh, disruptions or disconnections, and she wanted to make that effort to connect and reestablish relationship because her whole thing was, you know, life is not guaranteed, and when you have family that loves you and is willing to support you, you know, you need to have them. And what came up in that conversation was we were holding so many family secrets because in her household, they didn't want to talk about her sexuality. In my household, they didn't want to talk about my sexuality and the struggle of trying to uh, figure out what your identity is when at a very young age, all the adults around you are saying, what you want to do is not good enough. And, and that's, and for her, it was like, don't be, don't be like a boy. You don't play basketball. Like you're a girl. And then for me, it was like, you can't, you can't have a purse. You can't, your, your favorite color can't be pink. And, and at a very young age, we absorbed all that information. And so now we're at this stage as adults, where we're trying to unpack all those, all those things that led us to lives of having deep anxiety and not trusting people, not opening up to uh, each other to our family. Um, and I was really touched by that conversation because I think so many families can relate to um, those unspoken things, whatever they might be, that causes the um, family to not really connect and, and be closer. And we know that we can't change our parents necessarily, but we are from a different generation. I think millennials um, in particular are starting to carve a new lane and of what it means to, to live as a black person in America. And for us, it's like, we wanna be, we wanna be liberated. And regardless of whether our parents support us or not support us, this is who we are. Um, and so I just wanted to like share that and just like encourage whoever might be, might have an experience, like similar experience where you feel like you, um, you can't, that there's no one that, that there's no one there for you. Um, that there's always someone there for you and you're not alone. And I think that that was my takeaway. It was like, oh, I'm not alone. Like she gets it. Like she's had the same experience. And we talked about other family members in our family who we think are a part of the, <laughs> a part of the LGBTQ plus community and uh, without giving too much of my family's business out there. Um, and we just saw so many similarities. And it was like, we were like, wow, thank God we're having this conversation because 
years, decades have gone by and we don't talk about the things that are very obvious to us. It's right in your face. Um, and so I, my message to everyone is just to have those difficult conversations, um, extend that olive branch because you just never know where that could lead and it can really lead to a place of healing and new beginnings. Oh, that's so awesome, Jaren. I'm so glad that you've had that experience. That two snaps, I like that. <laughs> so you talked a little bit about, about millennials. I'm going to talk about Gen Z. Um, there are some certain members of, of Black Gen Z that have started to alarm me uh, as it relates to the internet. Um, and I'll bring in a personal example. And I'm going to, I'm not going to say his name, but I am going to talk about him. My oldest nephew uh, just turned 20, not too long ago. And I noticed certain things, especially during the, like the pandemic, especially during the pandemic, but even a little bit before the pandemic that had me thinking, I love my nephew to death. I think he's incredibly talented. I don't think he's that bright. And, and understand, I'm not saying that he's stupid. I'm just saying he's not that bright. <laughs> and the reason why is, so a few years ago, pre-pandemic, um, my nephew tried to like argue me down. I'm talking like he's like 17, 18, like tried to argue me down about the earth being flat. Now, let's talk about this. Flat earthers, y'all don't make no sense, okay? <laughs> y'all don't, they, there is science, there's, it, there's books, like it's right there, like it, it uh, okay, you know what I mean? And I, and I've, and I like, just simple things where I had to like say to my, to my nephew, I was like, so where's the edge? What are you talking about? Like, what are you talking about? And oh, it's, it, it was such a, I remember it being such a frustrating conversation. And I told my brother at that moment, I was like, you need to watch him now, fast forward, pandemic hits, my nephew, you know, he, he was going to college. And then of course, you know, it, the COVID-19, impacted everything. But I think especially for like college freshmen, it was it was especially tough. You know, you're going on throughout your life and then boom, <laughs> you know, you can't, you gotta leave. Um, <laughs> and I started to notice that my nephew, especially like on his Instagram page, would start to like repost certain videos on certain subjects. Um, and it was primarily from people like, you know, Dr. Umar Johnson, uh, Tariq Nasheed, uh, what's that crazy bra's name? Vicki Dillard. It's very, you know, Kevin Samuels. It's very like disgustingly misogynistic, you know, type of stuff. I will say this, he's not homophobic. I, 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 will, I will note that. Um, but he, but my nephew is problematic. And so, and I, I take, I'm taking note of all this. I think I actually tweeted it yesterday. I was like, true life. My oldest nephew is out here being educated or rather miseducated by, you know, YouTube niggas who don't read books. And that's what it really is. It comes down to these people do not act. They do not read books they don't read books and whatever that 24 34 48 laws of power that shit don't count oh my god listen there's again there's this there's a strange segment 
of Gen Z and I peep it. I, I see it. I see it. Y'all are letting your Twitter daddies educate you. And it's crazy to me. It's nuts. And I'll tell you another thing. The moment I see in anyone's Twitter profile or, or their Instagram profile, anything along the lines of I'm a free thinker. You know what that tells me? It screams broke, number one. Number two, it screams that you don't read things. You don't read, you don't read things. You watch YouTube videos by Dr. Africa or whoever the hell. Bruh, just read actual books. Just learn actual things. Speak to actual professionals. Speak to people who actually went to school for certain things if you want to learn. Stop letting this these people educate you or rather again miseducate you on regular regular life it is i'm i'm really i'm i i pray i pray that this is just a a, a phase especially for my nephew i pray that it's a phase for all cuz again these are kids right so it's like a lot of like late teens early 20s they think that they know every goddamn thing blah 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 fine and it's like well no let me let me let me explain to you auntie little boy little boy don't make me block your number that's all <laughs> so let's get into the next show <laughs> so may is mental health awareness month and according to the national alliance on mental illness black adults in the u.s are more likely than white adults to report persistent symptoms of emotional distress such as sadness, hopelessness, and feeling like everything is an effort. Not surprised, being Black is very hard. <laughs> but, you know, things are shifting. Gone are the days that we live by the ideas like Black people don't go, to, don't go to therapy, they go to church. As a culture, we're seeing therapists now more than ever. One of the first steps in addressing the state of your mental health is professional therapy. You know, we here on the show, we're always advocating for it. Well, go to a therapist, go to a therapist. However... We have to be honest, finding a good therapist is like searching for a good man. And Jared and I can both tell you, it's not, that ain't easy. That's that's a struggle and a half, struggle bus. But today we'll dive into qualities that you should look for in a therapist. So let's get into it. Shauna, I've said this a lot on this show and going to therapy was the single most best decision I have ever made. But I think a misconception that people have about therapy is that you have to wait until you hit rock bottom, that when things get seriously bad for you, whatever you might be going through, then now is the time to go to therapy. And going to therapy, I think that that way of thinking is what has prevented the Black community from really getting necessary uh, a need filled, fulfilled. And it's not just for people who are mentally ill. I look at it as the same way where you might go for a run every morning or go to the gym for your physical health. You might go to church every Sunday for your spiritual well-being or your spiritual health. Going to a therapist is how you seek help and health for your mind. And it's a part of this, the full apparatus of wellness, mind, body, and soul. Therapy for me is like a tune-up. So, cause we absorb a lot of different things day to day. So when I'm having a day where I'm maybe overwhelmed or something might happen like in my week, it might be in my dating life. It might be in my family. It might be in my personal life. I might be um, really 
really hard on myself. And so going to therapy for me is a way to talk out what I'm going through in the moment so that I'm not collecting all of my trauma or all of the quote unquote bad things that are happening in my life, all the negative thoughts, because the body is stores trauma and this energy and it's flowing all throughout your body. And so for me, yeah, I love therapy. I, I also do meditation and yoga. That's another way I kind of purge or transform the energy from you know negative energy to positive energy. But there's nothing like going to a professional who, who talks to people every day about some of the same things that you're going through, who can help uh, guide you through whatever are your struggles in your life. And for, you know, for me, it might be um, going, suffering through uh, imposter syndrome or anxiety. And a therapist helps you connect the dots. Like why, why does, why do you feel that way? Largely it does stem to your childhood. And I think it's really important just to look at it as a diary with a professional who knows how to guide you and has the tools to help you overcome whatever it is that you're, you're struggling with. Some people like to call their friends and kind of just talk, talk, talk things out, but that can be dangerous because friends will sometimes give you bad advice. Unless you have a friend who really just listens, I wouldn't advise that be your, your go-to practice for, for like handling, handling, handling your, your emotional or psychological trauma or struggles. And so it's really important to advocate for those who do go to therapy, advocate for therapy to everyone around you and your family and your community, uh, because we need more of it. And I think that our generation understands the value of therapy. And I'm trying to encourage uh, the baby boomers in my family uh, and some of the Gen Xers to, to just consider, like at least take the time to find a therapist, try it out, try it out for a week, a month, whatever you're comfortable with, but don't knock it before you try it. Because I guarantee if you allow yourself to just surrender to the experience and just be honest with the therapist, you will walk away feeling like you got some value from it. And I've now been going to therapy for about three years and it doesn't, it's helped, it's, it's made my life easier, but it doesn't take away the fact that I have struggles. And it takes the same time, the same reason, the same way in which it takes you years to collect trauma, it takes you years to unpack it. And so I also want to say to those who do go to therapy, don't just rush out of therapy. Like, don't be like, oh, I went for six months. I'm good. I'm healed. Because that's not how, that's not quite how it works. Um, I think that for me, it's probably going to be a lifelong practice. And, but I don't see it as something wrong or as uh, a stigma, I see it the same way I see it as, oh, I'm going to the gym in the morning. Oh, I'm going to church. I'm going to pray. Uh, therapy is, is a part of that collective healing process and wellness process for me. And it works for me. And I just really encourage all Black and Brown people in particular to, to just try it out. Um, I definitely agree. Uh, I kind of feel like a little bit of a hypocrite because so I'd gone to a few therapy sessions here and there, did like talk space and everything else when nothing was like seriously wrong. Just, you know, just like, eh, let me just get some of these feels out um, every so often. But when I took therapy actually very serious was, um, and I've talked about this on the show before, like I dealt with a very 
like devastating heartbreak um, in 2019. And it, it, I, I was, I was acting very unusual um, <laughs> to the point where my mother, both of my best friends, plus a boss that I hated, quite frankly, love her as a person, hated her as a boss, but a boss that I hated, and I'm pretty sure she wasn't too fond of me as an employee at that time. Uh, but you know, like all of these people are like, I think you need to talk to somebody. I think you need to talk to somebody. I think you need to talk to somebody. And especially for, <laughs> it's funny enough, coming from that woman in particular, that old boss, I was like, oh, hell no, I really got to take myself to go talk to somebody. I was like, if she's telling me I got to go talk to somebody, I got to go talk to somebody. When you go for, you know, when something is seriously wrong and then you, you, you unpack all of that, right? And you finally get to a point where you're, you're at peace with that. And then you start to realize, yo, this thing that kind of drove me here in the first place is not even like the crux of what I need to be getting to. And that's how you move into a place of like, oh no, I'm actually going to there because I just need to, to like talk every single week. Like, and, and you know, it's, you, like you said, it's like a diary, it's like a diary that can talk back <laughs> and a diary that kind of refocuses your thoughts on certain things. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm so grateful to my therapist because she, first off, she taught me that I have a tendency to, and we'll get deeper into this part of the conversation later, but, you know, I have a tendency to craft narratives in my head um, based off of like what I'm seeing and what I'm feeling. Problem is, is that what I'm seeing and what I'm feeling, my perception is not necessarily reality. And I tend to like, I create those narratives and I'll run with it and that's it. And I'm reacting off of that narrative. I'm reacting off of what I have already convinced myself. This, this is the cold, hard truth and the facts. And then I found myself into, you know, issues of being like, oh shit, that really wasn't what I'm saying. <laughs> That's not what was going down actually. Oops, cool. Um, <laughs> so uh, I, I, you know, I definitely agree with Jaren in terms of like, just, just go. I, you know, encouraged my brother to do so. And he, you know, finally got himself a therapist because he needed it. Uh, <laughs> he needed to talk to somebody. Um, my, my mother is, is definitely still very much so a, 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 I don't go to therapy. I talk to Jesus person. Um, what I will say is one thing that I, that I loved um, was that she was supportive of me going to therapy. Not initially, but it was, well, you know, in the, the whole initial, like, yeah, go talk to somebody. But then when I started, that's the thing, once you're in therapy for a while and you, you come back with breakthroughs and, you know, everything else, and you're like, you just want to share that knowledge with everyone else, right? And I'm telling my mother stuff. And when it started to where I was like, you know, a lot of the issues that I got come from you, right? Love you, mama. You're my favorite person in the world. But you know, you kind of, you did your best, but you kind of screwed me up on this. And then she got a little defensive. <laughs> she got very defensive at first. And, but it was me trying to like educate her on, no, like I, I understand the things that you did weren't intentional. I, and I understand that the things that, that, you imparted upon me were merely things that you were taught were merely was merely trauma that you never had the opportunity to address that people weren't encouraging you to address I was like so no I'm not blaming you for anything I'm just trying to get this out 
Um, and that has, honestly, it, it has helped, uh, me and my mother have always had a really great relationship, but it's helped us get closer. Like there's so many, our communication is so good. Me and my daddies, we still, cause I'm too much like my father, but, <laughs> but my, my communication with my mother is like so much deeper. Um, and it's embedded in respect and it's embedded in boundaries. Um, you know, therapy taught me very much so about boundaries. Uh, you know, like when my dad starts to talk crazy to me and especially if we're on the phone and I don't believe in hanging up the phone on people, but I do believe. And if you, if you start getting loud, I'm gonna tell you, I'm ending this phone call and then it's going to be a click. I'm not hanging up. <laughs> I, did not, I did not just, just, you know, snap the phone close on you, but no, you're not going to talk to me any old kind of way. We'll discuss, clearly you're elevated. So we'll, we'll discuss this when you're in a better place. Um, but I guess one of my questions for you, Jaren, would be, what were the qualities that you looked for in your therapist? Like, what was your, your these, these are like my top three to five things that I need to see from my therapist before I'm officially dating this therapist. If I'm, to be honest, I initially didn't have a list of what I was looking for. I didn't know what I was really looking for. And I was searching through my health insurance, um, like the in-network list of people on their website of the, of the health insurance website. And I just happened to see names of therapists and I was trying to find a black therapist. So I was going for, I saw like they had certain qualifications or expertise in, on this particular website. And it would say like, you know, specializes in African-American clientele, um, anxiety, depression, um, clientele who are LGBTQ plus. And so I made a few phone calls. Some of them were unsuccessful. Some therapists didn't get back to me. I initially um, gave up. I was like, I, they, they didn't get back to me. I don't know. I kind of just tabled it. And then maybe a few months later, I went back on track to find a therapist, uh, used the same site. And I found this therapist, his name was Jerome. And I'm like, okay, Jerome, he gotta be black. Um, <laughs> he specializes in black, uh, black clients, uh, LGBTQ plus clients, anxiety, depression, things that I was, that was pertain, that pertain to me. And, uh, but when I actually contacted him, I found out that he wasn't black at all. <laughs> He's actually a white Jewish man. Um, Jerome, Jerome, <laughs> Jerome is white. Um, but Dr. Jerome, uh, he is, he, he understands, he has a lot of, he, he, he has a lot of experience with black clients. And so I felt he created a safe space and he is, he is also uh, queer. And so we could relate on some aspect of my identity. And so it did take me time though, be, to trust him because one, we have to acknowledge that it does not feel comfortable, especially if you go, if you went your whole adult life, not talking about certain things. So to share these personal things about you to a stranger, uh, it doesn't necessarily feel natural. And so I was a bit resistant. And when he would ask certain questions, I wanted to, I wanted to be honest. I wanted to be there for ex the experience, but I was still in my head a lot. And I remember, you know, just not being able to really vocalize what was really on my heart or what was really on my mind. But, you know, the more I went, the more I started to open up, the more I felt comfortable with him. And now, like I said, it's been three years. So there's been a lot of um, trust built with my therapist to the point where even though he's not black and yeah, in the perfect world, I would have a, th a black therapist. 
Um, I've, I don't want to start over with a whole new therapist and he, I've told him so much. And so your therapist keeps like track of your life. And so to have to start with a new therapist and start from the very beginning, like, okay, I was born in Brooklyn, New York on March 8th, 1989. And this, and then my dad said this, and like, I didn't want to have to go through that experience. So I just kept with the same therapist, but I do understand that for many people, finding a good therapist is, is difficult. Some people have therapists who, who give them really bad advice or are not really listening to them. And so just like the, the, the medical industry, when we talk about doctors, uh, it's the same thing for therapists too. There are not, there are not all therapists are good therapists and it's okay uh, to decide that it doesn't work for you, but don't give up because you, you if you do encounter uh, a bad experience with a therapist, but finding one, um, it is difficult. I would say, Shout out to my friend, Kimberly Wilson. She started an app called Hue and it helps you locate black therapists, black doctors. And I think there are others like that in the market. And so that's one way you can find a good therapist, um, especially if you don't have health insurance and you just don't know where to start. But for me, it was going to my health insurance and just seeing what was out there and just looking at their qualifications and seeing what matched up with what I was looking for. When I was looking for a therapist, so I was very intentional. I said, I want a black woman therapist. If she wasn't a black woman, I didn't want her, send her back. Um, and just because I, you know, I've always just felt like the sisterhood of being a black woman is almost something that's just like so intrinsic. Like I, 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 yeah. Um, I also wanted a therapist who was, uh, this is gonna sound kind of jacked up, but who wasn't necessarily older. Um, I wasn't looking for like a boomer or a Gen X therapist. Uh, and a lot of that came from because of that terrible boss experience, um, you know, who she was a black woman and she's, I'm not going to say what generation she is, but she's older. And I remember being like, that was my first real negative experience with an older black woman, like, you know, when feeling like I was being bullied and I, and I did not want someone who I was actually paying to, <laughs> to trigger, you know, feelings of that. So my therapist is like, a, she like believes in meditation. She believes in like, you know, we're going to do some visualization exercises and, you know, and, and like think, thinking about like out of body experiences and get, yeah, get some crystals and all this other stuff. Like she's very, very new agey. <laughs> um, and that just, for me, I was like, that it works for me. And at least I know that I'm not going to be dealing with someone who is closed off to, you know, new ideas and, and new methodologies of getting to, to the heart of whatever it is that I'm trying to unpack. Um, I will say, and, and a lot of that too, uh, kind of flows into like, uh, if we were going to ask like, you know, what would have been our negative experiences of trying to find therapists? Um, my one experience with a white therapist was very uncomfortable. Um, and it was around Philando Castile and Alton Sterling, um, the deaths of those men uh, by the hands of police. And I remember you know, explaining to this white woman therapist who at that point I don't seen like, man, maybe like three, four times um explaining to her like just this sense of hopelessness that you feel you know like just 
what are we supposed to do? Why do people like, why are you, why, do, why, like, why do, is just me being born in this black skin such a threat to you? Why do you hate us? So like we helped, not even helped, we built this effing country, you know, like, and just getting a lot of that frustration out. And she kind of hit me with a low key, all lives matter type of <laughs> approach. Um, you know, and it was very, one of the lines that she said, uh, was a, along the lines of something like, you know, you, you got to stop thinking of yourself as a victim. I was like, bitch, first off, what? And my therapy session basically turned into me cussing out this white woman, but not really cussing her without me cussing her out without, without cursing. And, you know, basically telling her and also letting her know that I would be reporting her to the medical board because I was just like, I don't know what, like, what white woman feelings that you're trying to bring into this, but what you won't do <laughs> is make me feel bad about sharing something that is, is, is happening to me, to people that look like me within me. You know what I mean? I was like, you're, you're not going to do, you're not going to do that. Um, and it, it, it. Ooh, when I tell you, I have severe trust issues when it comes to white medical professionals because of that woman and, and that experience. What about you, G? <laughs> I had an experience with my therapist talking about race recently. Uh, it was last year and it was during the height of um, the George Floyd protests. And we had, we talked about race, obviously, because I can't talk about my life and my experience, you know, and not mention the fact that I'm black in America. But when it became, you know, last year became that moment where if you had white people in your life, you had to have some really uncomfortable conversations because it, it really had reached a break, uh, a boiling point. And I remember lightly touching on what was happening and he, he dug deeper. And this is what a good therapist does. They say they, they come with follow-up questions. And he was like, but what do you feel? Like, how, how do you feel um, talking about racism to a white man and he just he just said it like plainly and I was like oh wow like he, I kind of clutched my pearls I'm like oh wow he's really he's really like going there but he was right he shook the table but he was he wasn't afraid to to have that conversation because again he has experience with black clients and he knew what it was and so I'm, I'm happy that he did that because I didn't have the the courage to really go there with him until he set the stage and was like this is a safe space. You can you can say whatever's on your mind, and I'm I'm here to to listen, and um, and since then it really just like it really enhanced um, our sessions because now I've been able to say things that maybe I was holding because I had to tell him like yeah it does feel uncomfortable sometimes talking about race with with you specifically not because it's anything against you but I don't have really any personal I don't have any personal friends in my family who are in my life who are white. Um, and so really, you're the only white person I talk to on a, on a regular basis. And so it, it's like it's like building a muscle. Um, and we've been able to really make a lot of progress because of that. And and it, it really it, it, it also leads to this conversation about why therapy is important. Like, what are the benefits? What are the true benefits to therapy? And one of those reasons um, is identifying your triggers. Now, for me. I used to be triggered. I was in a relationship and I would just like kind of, I would, my anxiety would get really bad to the point where I would tense up and I didn't know why I couldn't even control it when it was happening. 
And the fact that my partner at the time would point it out made me even more frustrated and made me even more tense. Um, and then I, when I started going to therapy, I would explain um, these encounters I would have with my, with my ex. And he really helped lay out what was happening for me in those moments. He gave uh, a professional, a scientific language to what I was experiencing. Um, and he helped me, he, he started asking the right questions to be like, well, what were you feeling in that moment? Um, and then after you explain that, he's like, well, so wh but why do you feel that way? And then he'll like pose a question about, you know, maybe my childhood or my relationship with my parents. And then he'll, at the end of our sessions, kind of like summarize, you know, he's not necessarily diagnosing, but he's saying, you know, some people experience things in their childhood and it presents these issues and this might be why you're responding the way that you are. And he's really helped me identify my triggers and, and why I'm triggered. I think the why is always really important because it's one thing to say, oh, I have like, you know, not that I had like, you know, uh, attitude problems or anything like that. I don't have like, but you know, we all have our things and it's really been very helpful. Um, another thing has been really identifying family pathologies and patterns in your family because likely whatever you, whatever was going on between you and your parents, it, they likely had a similar experience with their parents. And um, I learned through therapy that there are similarities in, in my experience and my father's experience, for example, with his parents. And their therapists just, they, they, they have um, the proper tools to help you on help you come to a self-realization it's not that they're like giving you uh, a magic recipe for overcoming your problems and it's not like they're it's they're not it's not like a doctor where they give you a pill and like hey you'll, you'll feel better now uh, with therapy is kind of like helping you uh say out loud the what's happening in your psyche and helping you understand that what you're thinking is likely not reality and that's been the biggest thing for me because so many of us, I think, believe that the thoughts in our head are us. And in reality, <laughs> our consciousness and who we are is we're, we're, we're the ones hearing the thoughts, but we're not the thoughts. And my therapist has really helped me separate my thoughts from my being. And so many people who don't go to therapy, they have those thoughts. And they don't know the difference between the thoughts and themselves. And then they just, they just carry all of that. And then you blow up on people and you wonder why. And so it's, look, I know therapy for some people, it's, it's, um, it's intimidating. Um, it can be seen as a burden, but I've had such great breakthroughs. Um, and I think the exercise of therapy, when you have the proper therapist, it's very transformative. And it really just kind of, it really just aligns things for you and brings you to a place of peace. Um, and so now when I have a thought, I'm like, I know how to correct it versus have the thought and then you beat yourself up because of the thoughts and then you believe the thoughts and it's a vicious cycle. I, I've really enjoyed um, relearning who I am and figuring out more importantly, the things that make me tick and figuring out what my triggers are so that I can correct those things. Th those things. And really it's also helped me, it's given me the tools to help others. You know, I'm not a therapist, 
But I think it's also important that as you learn, that you share, you share it with the people that you care about. And I've, I'm happy to say that I've encouraged quite a few people to go to therapy and, um, and it's been working out for them. And so if you're listening, again, I'm gonna stress it, just give it a try. Um, I think, and you know, you kind of touched on like even your therapist kind of being like, no, like let's talk about this race stuff. Um, I think that kind of speaks to the overall importance of being honest with your therapist. Um, I think so many times, too many of us are, are wondering like, is this person gonna think that I'm weird? Is this person gonna judge me? Is this person gonna all of a sudden think that I'm crazy? You know, all of this stuff. And I think it's one of the things of like, you have to remember, you have to remind yourself, first off, you're paying this person. I'm paying you to listen to me. Just it, whatever. And so I'm like, I don't, I'm not, I don't pay my friends. Hell, I barely pay for these broad drinks. Like, so at the very least, um, you know, I I can can lay myself bare um, for this person. Uh, also, it's just like, yes, my therapist. Yes, we have a, a relationship with one another, but like, that's not my home girl. That's not the homie. I'm not about to call her to kiki up about you know, oh girl, did you watch that new Run the World show on Stars? No, we're not doing that. So there's no need to be worried about judgment. Um, I also wanted to touch on, I love that you said, you know, therapy helped you become aware of your triggers. Like that was one of the biggest breakthroughs for me. Um, you know, I, I didn't really, I, I could kind of verbalize, um, you know, back in the day of being like, oh, you know, I, sometimes I take criticism a little hard. Uh, <laughs> and that, and that's just where I left it. Therapy helped me realize, oh, no, 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 no. If I hear, like, criticism to me sounds like, Shauna, you are not good enough. You're trash. This is why you, you this is why your life sucks. This is like, it's, it, it immediately spirals into something crazy negative, um, which helped me understand, like, that breakup that I had, like, I, he was dealing with his own PTSD and his own triggers and everything else, but the conversation that we had that, you know, culminated into our like big, big blow up of a conversation is because I realized once I hear anything that sounds like criticism, I shut down. And that happens in my romantic life, that happens friendship wise, that happens at work that happens with my parents. And it's even, and it's still very tough. And funny enough, discovering, oh yeah, the reason why you react that way is because your parents kind of conditioned you to react this way. <laughs> like to the point where I think I've talked about this show, like, you know, my parents used to have a really, really my dad used to have a really, really bad habit of like comparing me to other people. So that's where that comes in like the whole Oh, you know, this is uh, this this you're not you're not good enough. What you're doing is not good enough. You need to be better. You need to be a better person. You need to be anybody else but you right now. Um and it's it's crazy how that that kind of it it instantly takes me back to like being in high school, you know, and hearing stuff and like even just the other day my mother said something to me that in retrospect it wasn't out of pocket but she said it and I was instantly brought back to like high school days and I was pissed. Like I, like I was, I was livid on some, see, this is why I'm trying to move the hell out of New York city, get the hell away from these people. I'm sick of this. Da, da, da. Like, and it, again, it was a, it was an, it was an instant spiral. Um, you know, understanding 
oh my uh my just my whole idea low-key I have kind of abandonment issues didn't really know where that was from until I had to like put it I had to, to, to when you when you start piecing things together like my mother and this is from her own trauma but my mother has this really um this saying that she used to like drill into my head even as a child even as an adult I always heard it and it was you never become too attached to people, places, or things. You never become too attached to people, places, or things. So, which I'm also like, well, damn, God, like, God forbid I die, you're not attached to me. Like, it, it's like one of those things. But I realized how much, how, why it's so easy for me to disconnect from people is because, you know, again, it's in my head. You never become a too attached to people, places, or things. Everything is temporary, so screw it anyway. Um, and recognizing where that was really driven home for me was my best friend in first grade, Jessica Gomez. Um, my best friend from first grade, uh, her father was killed. Um, my father was just shot and killed uh, by, I think he, okay, I think it was a drug dealer, but uh, <laughs> there was, there was some, some shady things going on. Her father was shot and killed. And her mother, you know, did what she thought was best and, and picked Jessica up and moved. Like, so maybe like three, four days after her father died, I had never seen Jessica again, ever. Um, until like, maybe I was like 26, 27, like 20 years later. And I happened to see her on Eastern Parkway at, at the West Indian Day Parade. So I was like, oh my God, like, Oh, you know, and I, when I tell you, I look for that girl on Facebook, but there's a lot of Jessica Gomez's and I was like, I don't know what the bra look like now. It was a, it was a whole, it was a whole thing. Um, but yeah, I, I just, I, I'm loving that we had this conversation. I hope that we continue to have these conversations and for our grill fam, you know, therapy is obviously a personal but you know, in our opinion, very necessary choice and whatever you decide, make sure that when you're investing in your mental health that you're doing so with a professional who cares. There are plenty of resources available to begin your therapy journey. Just recently, Self Magazine published a list of 44 mental health resources throughout the country to get you started. It's time to take control of your mental health. Hell, you survived a pandemic, you can survive therapy. We want to remind our listeners to please support your local Black businesses and donate to your local organizations and religious institutions. The Black business that we'll highlight this week is Therapy for Black Girls. Therapy for Black Girls is an online space dedicated to encouraging the mental wellness of Black women and girls. Dr. Joy Harden Braffer is a licensed psychologist, speaker, and host of the Therapy for Black Girls podcast. Her work focuses on making mental health topics more relevant and accessible for Black women, and she delights in using pop culture to illustrate psychological concepts. She has been featured on O, The Oprah Magazine, Forbes, Bustle, MTV, Huffington Post, Black Enterprise, Refinery29, Teen Vogue, and Essence. Visit their website at www.therapyforblackgirls.com. Thank you for listening to Dear Culture. If you like what you heard, please give us a five-star review. Subscribe to the show wherever you listen to your podcast and share it with everyone you know. 
And please email all questions, suggestions, and compliments. We love those to podcasts at thegrio.com. The Dear Culture Podcast is brought to you by The Grio and executive produced by Blue Salusma and co-produced by Taji Senior, Brenda Alexander, and Antonio Thompson. See you next week.